The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Partner up with Navy Federal Credit Union to pay down credit card debt. Learn more at NavyFederal.com. On the new era of Survivor, you either find it, win it, or you just don't eat. I went into the game at 200 pounds, and I came out at 165. Never quit. Never quit. Never quit radio. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, Buttercup. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Team Never Quit Podcast. Thank you all for listening, watching, viewing, and subscribing. If you haven't yet, please show your support by hitting that like button or checking us out on social media at Team Never Quit. Before we get into this show today... Let's get to our Patreon question of the day, which is, what is something that you do that makes you feel like an old person? <laughs> I feel like that's directed. I feel like an old person every <laughs> day in all of my decisions. How about whenever you squint at the check when it comes and you're in a dark restaurant like yeah. your dad used to do, and now you're like, you're, you're tr- I'm not trying to figure out the tip, I'm trying to see the numbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've noticed some of the guys in my crew having to do that. And I haven't made fun of them yet, so I've survived that one. Yeah. I think so, that's what happens. Like, as, as the guys, if you make fun of your boy, your dad doing that, shazam, it's right on top of you. But I make that grunt noise when I stand up now. <laughs> <laughs> or when I have to bend over to pick something yeah, up. Oh, yeah, that weird ooh. noise. The first time that came out, I thought it was like, well, no, it can't be right. <laughs> but then when it shows up, I was like, I think that's how you know you've made it over the... I think that's how you know. That's right. Gravity's I have a lot of them, but mine, I think the biggest is just getting out of bed in the morning and I have to like roll my ankles <laughs> like, and I have to stretch a little bit. There. Yeah, yeah. Right. I have to stretch a little bit before I actually stand up. <laughs> how about you, Jay? No, it's definitely... Uh... The, the glasses. Oh, yes. The, the arms get longer. Oh. Arms get longer. That's right. I think hangovers would probably be mine. Well, oh, that is sure. self-induced and you're 25. <laughs> almost. Yeah. Oh, it's not a hangover yet, son. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. Once you're past 40, then... That's not what that is. is. That's a, all you got right now is just a reminder of a kick-ass time you had. <laughs> Hangers are reserved for the old dudes that keep on trying to do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, back the day gets hung right. over from the last one, right? You're just like, what the... <laughs> That's a fact. That's a fact. That's man. what that is. So enjoy. Oh, my gosh. Well, today we've got a great guest for you guys today. Mike Gabler is an American heart valve specialist who participated in thousands of surgeries. He is also a television personality, best known for competing and winning the 43rd season of the American reality TV competition series, Survivor. And he's the second oldest player to ever win. And he also did something really awesome with the money that you will get into. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hey, thanks so much, Hunter. Appreciate you. Glad to be here. And you got somebody with you. Let's introduce them. 
And I've got my brother-in-law, uh, Justin Caldwell here, ninth generation Texan, uh, sitting with his cowboy boots on right next to me. That's the only. That's why we have him in there. I know. That's, <laughs> that's right. He's call. also my rod. It's my. It's my redneck <laughs> motivation. That's right. Well, well, yeah, Uber wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Uber couldn't find Valhalla. Yeah, right. JT's got a hillbilly hype man. Yeah. They always there to motivate you, no matter what's going. Man, you can do it. Go. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> They're just great to have. You, you've got that much spice underneath you. Yeah. All right. So I've, the the Survivor thing is cool. That's, it was really amazing. So you know, like I've been a big fan of the show the whole time. We've been watching since, you know, 2000 it came out. And it was just a novel show at the time because they take, you know, 18, 20 strangers. They drop them off on a beach and everybody's got to kind of figure out in, in, the, in the clothes on your back. So you don't have supplies or anything. And then you have to kind of figure out, you know, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. While you're also socially trying to figure out each other because it's a game of attrition where at the end of... You know, 42 or 28 days, there used to be a longer season, 42 days, and they'd give you rice and beans a little bit, not a lot. But now they've got the last few seasons, they've moved into this new era where they give you nothing at all, and it's 28 days long, and that's the one I was competing in. And it, but it's just an amazing social experiment because you want to. Oh, have, I get what just happened there. That was a shot at the other crew for not having it as hard as you. That's a, that, you, you I like up that. On that. I did, man. <laughs> and and I, I want to ask just real fast. So the guys that you went through that with, if y'all came back together as we, a, as a team, I know against competing against each other is one thing. So the, the, if you had to come together and compete with each other, what you think that would make that makes you a better team? It really did. The hardship really did forge us because you know. So when we first got on my season, season forty three, we eighteen of us show up. We were divided into three tribes of six, and we land on the beach. You just look at everybody. You're kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm Gabler, you're whoever, and you know we all kind of meet everybody, and then we immediately start figuring out where we're going, and then we would get together once a day. And as a tribe, we would compete in these amazing obstacles. They were as big as a football field, and you'd be like, "Okay, Marcus, you're gonna do the, you're gonna climb up the, you know, the net, Melody. We're gonna, you're gonna go through the tunnel of mud and all this other stuff." And we just, it was really hard, but it was like anything else. It's hard. It was fun. I mean, we, I think everybody on Survivor likes Type Two fun because that's what it was, and we all became very close because you know, at night it would rain. And freezing rain and we're just sitting in there just all huddled together and minute to minute waiting for the sun to come up to dry off and everybody became really close and to this day we left all our machetes on the beach we're all friends to this day i've got owen and his fiance are coming out to idaho to visit us in june and i can't wait to see him i can't wait to see my friend it's been almost a year it will have been a year by the time i see him again and i can't wait to show him kind of where you know, I'm from and what I'm doing and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's been a, it was a really special experience. That's awesome. So it's a different kind of friendship now. It's a different kind of friendship because we went talk, through something. Talk, talk about that. That That's, you hear it all the time. People don't like to, to go through suffering. They don't like to go through pain. Well, man, if, you, I'm if you're born into this world, that's kind of part of it. It's it, a fact. It, and it's only that because you haven't gotten into it yet. It, it, great point, Marcus. And, you know, Owen was with me on day one because he was part of my Baca tribe. And we we met on day one, and he was with me at the very end of the game. We lasted the entire game together. And, you know, we went through all kinds of – we would go to the well together to get water. We'd fill up this cast iron pot. We finally won a cast iron pot and a flint. 
So we had to boil our water because you didn't want to get all the organisms in you and stuff. So we would go, me and him, he was called like the lovable curmudgeon because he was like a Charlie Brown kind of a guy. And we would walk with this big old cast iron pot, fill it up, ladle out the water in the well. And we'd walk back trying not to spill it, take a fire, boil it, let it cool, drink it. And, you know, we, we did everything together. You know, I remember we'd see hermit crabs walking on the beach and Ellie was on the tribe and Ellie said, you know, can we eat hermit crabs? And I'm like, I think you can, but I don't think most people do. Three days later, we're eating hermit crabs. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any meat in a hermit crab? There's not much, but it's better than nothing. <laughs> we ended up eating some crazy stuff because, you know, on the new era of Survivor, they don't, you either find it, win it, or you just don't eat. And I, I went into the game at 200 pounds, and I came out at 165. Yeah. That's oh, a month. So th- think about that. Like we set up our team when you when you set up, man. Each guy's got his own position, and that sucker got a skill set. Yes, that's why that's how one person doesn't become more important than the other. Yes, but then what happens if one goes down? You, you know, it, you, it, that's how you had to cross rate. Had to be right. It's exactly we did. We did the same thing. People were were. You know, some people go gather wood. Some people go gather. We we did. We had that's what I'm assignments. About. What people did. And everybody was cross trained to do their things. But we did have a team mentality where everybody was out there. And you know the the ladies would get snails and and, and hermit crabs while we would get firewood and get the fire going or get the water. And we would rotate. Everybody did every everybody's job. But we but people were better. Ellie and Janine were amazing at getting you know getting the crabs and getting the snails off the rocks every tide because. Every nature's bounty would, uh, you know, we'd pick all those snails off the rocks at night. And then in the morning, the tide would come back in. And then when tide go back out, there'd be more snails there. So that's what we would eat. And they weren't like the big old fat escargot snails and the garlic butter. They were like little (laughs) bitty buttons and we would just boil them up. And it's funny when you're really hungry, you could taste, you, you just were like, you could taste the fat and you could, you got, you, we were getting something from it. Huh. It was, we were getting something from it, uh, and we would eat all kinds of stuff. The weirdest thing I think we ate out there, there was a, a big guy, probably about your size, Marcus, named Ryan. And Ryan was, he's he's like part Aquaman. He would go out in the ocean and fish and just, you know, I'd go out in the ocean for a couple hours. I'd come back with, you know, three, four-inch fish, and Ryan would come back with like 15 fish. Oh, my He gosh. was just a beast. And one day he came back, coming out of the water, with a clam Literally, probably two foot by oh, a wow. foot wide. Like, it was, it was this big. Oh, my god! And he has this massive clam he pulls out of the ocean. So we got a fire going, put the clam down on there because it was, you know, it wouldn't open its mouth. So we, it once it, it cooked, it popped open. And inside the clam, there was these two, they were probably as big as like a 12-ounce filet mignon, like these two big cylinder uh, things that were white. And they tasted just like a scallop. They were like, they were delicious. And then there was all this green gook around it. And of course, I'm like, well, anybody want to eat the green gook? And they're like, no, all, all you, Gabler, all you. So I, I tried to, I, try, I started eating the green stuff. And if anybody's listening and you're eating a clam, do not eat the green stuff. It makes you stick. <laughs> it's kind of like their guts. So Ew. yeah, you don't want to eat that. But the, the white parts where they hold their shell together, uh, it was really good. Oh my gosh. Is there story. anybody there telling you if something's poisonous or not? So before the game starts, you actually, this is something nobody really knows, is you, so we, we, because of COVID was going on at the time, we flew to LA, we quarantined for three days and in our rooms. We were not allowed to leave our hotel room. So we're kind of like in, in a little box and you'd get a knock on the door and there's your breakfast, there's your lunch, and then you get your dinner and you couldn't leave the room. They had hall monitors because we weren't allowed to interact with each other because they wanted us to be on the beach 
the first time we met and they're filming it because if it's not filmed, it doesn't happen. So they would, they were really, real sure we could no communication at all. And then we, we, one day it was on Sunday, they collected our cell phones, took our watches and we all met in the lobby. We're all wearing masks still. So I'm trying to do like happy eyes. Like, you know, I'm, I'm like, like, you know, <laughs> trying to like be, psychopaths, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you ever got masks on and you know, I'm kind of a, you know, I'm kind of a, a bigger guy with tattoos. I got a beard and, you know, and my, my resting face is kind of, you know, could kind of be a little bit, you know, like intense. <laughs> so I'm trying to be like my daughters. I've got two daughters. Uh, they were they they were coaching me up like okay papa you need to be friendly you need to be friendly so I was wearing a tie dye shirt oh my gosh because what's more friendly than tie dye nothing yeah. and I had fr- friendly eyes tie dye shirt and uh, looking at kind of everybody we got on the plane and we all had handlers with us so we had next to me there was there was a, a dude right next to me named Mike he's from Chicago and everybody had their own handler so you couldn't talk on the plane we're all there fourteen hours over to Fiji land get in a bus go to this resort called the Ponderosa and we're driving in there and we're like, oh, this looks pretty nice. This looks like a pretty nice resort. And it was called the Anchorage Resort, which I remember because I cover, I work in Alaska. So I'm like, Anchorage, this is a good omen. Good omen now. It's the Anchorage Resort. And we get off the bus, we got our backpacks on and we start kind of marching in a row. We're still allowed to talk to each other. And we go through the resort and I'm like looking at the rooms and there's some big villas and cool things. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. We keep walking, go past the room. Now we're just in rooms. Now we go past it, and then we're doing the trail in the jungle. And it's, by the way, it's 105 degrees with 95% humidity. And we're and it was snowing in Idaho when I left. So I'm just dying. I'm sweating like crazy. And and we're walking up there, and we get to this, this other trail. There's this big switchback going all the way up to this bald mountain. And we get up there, and there's 20 tents lined up. And I was tent number six, MG. We were just all in your initials. So like ML is you know, your tent, and you go there, and, and I, I remember looking at this this twenty row tent in this big jungle with steam coming out and just coming back down, clouds of mosquitoes just biting your face, your hands, and I'm just going, oh my goodness, what have I gotten into here? So we zipped open the the, the tent, billowed out like even more heat. We had 15 minutes to put all our stuff in there. And then they ring a bell and you kind of go down to the chow line and you sit at tables across from like six feet away from each other. And then they would call you. And this is a long way of answering your question about do they tell you things. Yeah. So you they go, MG, you're next. And I get up and I go walk, you know, 100 feet where, they, where nobody else could see me. And there was a ranger there, a Fijian ranger that would tell you, this is fire coil, coral. Take a look at this. Do not touch this. And, you know, you couldn't take notes. You just had to mentally take notes. And they would tell you, this is a cassava. This, these are in the ground. This is a root. You can find these to eat. And they would show you things. And you spend about an hour with the ranger going through what not to do and what to do. And, it, and I probably got most of it in my head, maybe half of it, just enough to be dangerous enough. I knew snakes were bad. Sea snakes are bad. So I, I got yeah, that like you one. You remember a certain thing. You'd be like, yeah, the half and half. You're like, oh. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, and the, the beginning of the game was actually so difficult. The pregame was so hard that... They, they marched us around everywhere to, just to try to see. I think the switchback thing was to see how our knees would do if we could actually scurry up. And they did a swim test for us to be sure we could actually swim. And everything we said we, we could do. But one kid was on there. I said kid, he was probably 30. Um, looked like he was in really good shape. But um, poor guy, I guess he had some heat problems and passed out a couple times. So an, one of the alternates got to come in and play the game. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh and, and it was So there was 18 of us made the game, but they brought 20 to pre, pre-game. And uh, one of the alternates named Gio, uh, uh, he lives in Florida now, but he was in Austin. 
he um, he got to jo- join the game at oh the last second. Oh my gosh, that's exciting. So, so you've got people just waiting, like on standby? On standby. Because, you know, I mean, but what was really cool about season 43 is everybody on that season was a fan of the show. Like everybody was a true fan. I was of probably the more show. than that by now. Yeah. It's oh. like studied. Yeah, it's like with the UFC, it. man. It's like you're you're training yes. for that particular fighter now. A- absolutely right, Marcus. And Owen was one of the guys. In fact, he knew every he studied everything. Like chessboard, man. He gets freaking good at it. Chessboard. He was so he could even tell when we would get tree mail. You know, it would say like it would be a riddle. It would be like you know, bring your bring your towels and bring your heart because you're gonna jump off of something and somebody's going home. And I, I I can't do riddles, obviously. That would they, they, they would they would always rhyme, but mine doesn't. So um, but it's called poetry. Yeah, poetry. Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not poetry. Uh, I listen to Metallica and Slayer. It doesn't, but it's like he um, so Owen knew all these things. I would always bring him the tree mail. I'm like, what do you think, dude? What do you think? He's like, I think this is the one where we're in the cage and the tide the tide's coming up. And I'm like. Really? That sounds terrible. That sounds terrifying. Are you sure? <laughs> like, and, and he was excited. He was excited. Owen was like, oh, I've always wanted to do this one. This is like one, one of the ones they've only done this three times. And, and literally, it's when you're in a cage and you're, the tide starts coming up. And it's whoever lasts the longest in the tide. And Owen and Carla, they ended up, well, I'll tell you that in a second. But so I'm in there. I've got a big nose. And... One of the things that, that Owen knew to do that I didn't know was you got to pinch your nose because every time the tide would come up, you'd, you'd take a breath and the tide would come up and you'd have like five seconds and then the tide would go back down. But my nostrils would fill up with a, with a couple of ounces of water. And the only way to clear them was kind of to gulp the water and then you take your breath. And then the tide would come up again, gulp your water, come back, you know, take a breath. And after about 15 minutes, my stomach was full of seawater. So I had to tap out. I tapped out there, and Sammy tapped out right after me, and I went and hurled a bunch of seawater up. They got part of it on camera. And then Owen, though, who was laying there with his, and Carla had their noses pinched, and what, what they, they actually lasted for three and a half hours. Oh, my god! The tide went up all the way and then started going back down. So they actually broke the challenge and beat the tide, which I didn't think was possible. And they, I mean, it just shows you, like, don't, limit your mind on what you think you can or can't do. And they, they, but if you always going to bail out of a challenge early, that was the one to, to go down on. Cause it was three and a half hours and they got out of there. They were freezing. Cause you know, three and a half hours in the ocean, you know, better than probably anybody mm. is cold. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. So if someone's putting themselves in a position where, I mean, they could die with this show with the producers or whoever pull you out. Yes, ma'am. They had, they had safety divers, below us in that particular okay. one they always had a medical crew on standby because you know people got we were always banged up and bug bitten yeah and the, and the first week speaking of bugs when you first come from civilization where you're fed and 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 cared for and you go into such a harsh place like that and you're sweating all your minerals and salts and things are coming out and the bugs loved us the first week, which was... Like a buffet. It was a buffet, a bug buffet. I had bug bites on my bug bites on my bug bites. And they would just... And, you know, and you're sunburned, you're dehydrated, you're starving, you're sleep-deprived, you're a little freaked out. The first few days... Pissed off, probably. And a little grumpy, yeah, a little I mean, angry. That, just, that comes with that whole combo you just talked about. Yes, there's no Snickers, there's no nothing. How about that? Uh, no, no, where was the Snickers when you need one? Right. That's what... <laughs> Oh my but it was it was really a, a, a punch in the face. But after you, after about a week, you start assimilating, and then you're with your your friends 
uh, you're competing against each other, but you're also with your tribe. And even when we had divisions within our tribe, because the game goes on, you vote people out, and your trust becomes an issue. When we when it came to compete against the other tribes, we would all pull together, uh, Bacchus strong. We would just battle, and it was. I hadn't been on a team sport in 30 years, and it was so fun. I forgot how much fun it was to be on a team sport. Isn't that great? It was. So There's no fun. other feeling like it. Nothing. I, I'm gonna have to do something again to do that because it was so fun just to look over and you know you're, you're whether you're pulling a giant box of coconuts or whatever we were doing or climbing over the you're pulling each other up through the rope ladders and going across stuff and I remember there was a we had this uh, a lady named Janine and she's itty bitty she's really small and Ellie uh, and Ellie's Ellie would get this look on her face when we would be in these in these challenges and you know Sammy's a big boy. Owen's a big guy. I'm reasonable. But the one you didn't want to mess with was either Ellie or Janine. They would be fiery. And they would, I remember one time, like an ant, uh, we were supposed to pick up boxes and hand them to the, the, the quote unquote big guys. And we were going to hand them up. And Ellie picked up this giant box and was just with so much adrenaline and energy and just goes, move. And I just <laughs> dove out of the way because she was coming through. And I don't know. I just, and I think that's why, to your point, we just all really bonded and, and are friends to this day. Oh, that's the best part. Start like a Boise softball league or something for you. To something. Get oh, yeah. Have like your survivor <laughs> tribes have your own little league. Maybe so. Oh, there you go. Compete against. Yeah. Maybe take it to the so, freaking court Hunter. or something like that. That would be funny. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's take it back to like where did you come from and give us a little backstory on who you are, where you came from, all that. You betcha. You betcha. So my my father, my my parents are from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My father was in the military, and then in which oil. branch? He was in the army. He was in the army, and he was a, like pencil, pen, like steel country. Steel country, big time steel. My my granddad like was Steelers a, country. Oh, Steelers! Terrible towel. Terrible. I have a terrible towel. Buried in, my, in the ground in the recliner. <laughs> Pittsburgh Steeler fan. Because I, I I've seen them. Big yeah. time. You know them. Just check. One it. Of we Marcus's know them. Teammates is a huge. They're great. Huge They're intense. Steelers They're real people. Yeah. You got to know how to deal with them. They're real intense. So hard as steel. Even when I was when I was five, we moved. My dad got it was in oil, so we moved to to Houston, and it was not easy in the Love You Blue Oilers days being in Houston, Texas, wearing a wearing a Steelers old jersey. There, man. Oh yeah. But 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 we. You know, you kind of whatever your dad yells at the TV uh, or cheers for is kind of what you cheer for. So I, we became Steelers yeah, fans that's right. on this island in Houston where we would even go to Oilers games in the Astrodome, and we'd be wearing our yellow and black. And you know, and you know, Houston's such a such an awesome sports town because everybody, you know, everybody's pretty cheeky with each other, but it's all friendly and cool. And I, we just, you know, it would be a nonstop kind of like you know, we'd be getting heckled, but in a in a fun. It's our way. way of fighting without. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It was really cool. It yeah. was really cool. And then once we got to Houston, um, we, we I lived in, in Kingwood, and it's in northeast Houston. 
And then we, we moved overseas for a, a little while. We moved over to Saudi Arabia when I was in middle school. And um, then we moved back to Houston. How was that? Oh, Saudi Arabia was amazing. It's great, right? It, it, was, it was amazing. Uh, great people, had a, had a, a great time. We were over there. Um, you know, you go back in the mid 80s, like 84, 85. So it was before internet. So people were very, cultures were still very strong. You could see like, like you'd see some of the Arab guys walking around in their Thobe and Gutra with a Michael Jackson glove on. How about that? It was so, <laughs> yeah, it was so amazing. How about that? Head it was thoughts. so crazy, right? People, you, people, when you hear the, the names of the Middle East, people automatically think desert and that's not what it is. Yeah, right. There's all kinds of stuff over there. All kinds of stuff. And uh, we would go, um, we were invited to a couple of, you know, my dad was a, a, a you know, pretty high, high ranking guy, I guess, in Aramco, Saudi Aramco is who he worked for. So he would get invited out to like some shake houses and things like that. And we used to go. And I remember we would go there and my, my mother and sister would disappear. We'd say, okay, well, we'll see you tonight because they would go off with the women and we would go off with the men and we would sit down and, you know, they would bring in a a, a goat on a on a bed of rice, and you know we'd drink the that that Arabic tea, and it was just and we played chess. It was just so cool. And one time, being a kid, I was probably at like Grant's age. Um, this one guy had a a stuffed cobra fighting a mongoose. Oh my gosh! And I thought it was so cool. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And that it, is cool. It, it is cool. <laughs> is Marcus, cool, you like it? You yeah, it is cool. You like it today? But um, in Arab culture, if you like something. They're inclined to give it to you. That's right? what I'm saying. Anything. You don't <laughs> say anything. Bro, they're the and they're the best barterers on the planet. Absolutely, I mean, they can talk you in or out of anything, man. I had the most with fun a smile, with a smile, make you want to do it. <laughs> yes, yes. You're 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 for You're like take it, take it. I want sure, you to yeah. take it. Yeah. Like what happened? I sent you over there to get. I was like, I don't know, man. The guy was so smooth. He just freaking. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Did I you was, get the snake? I did it. I did it. My my parent my. I, I had it with me until we got back together that evening because when they, they kind of united the family, like my mom and sister were with the ladies, we were with the men. And when we got back together to leave, I'm holding this mongoose. And I think my mom was like, we're not putting that in the house anywhere because obviously we'd have to put it in a prominent place in the house. I was going to say, because they put that on you. They're like, <laughs> yes. hey, this is a big thing. This is my friend in my family. This has been a token. And you're like, oh, <laughs> shit. Probably just got it out of some damn garage, right? But you, I mean, like, you got to be on a pedestal. It has else, to be. In case they come over. Yes. Like, my friend, I see. That's a thing. 30 years They're later. They're at that, dude. They 30 were... years later, they could show up in Houston. Oh, and they, we'd have to have the mongoose on a pedestal <laughs> in the middle of the dining room. Oh, They'll pass gosh. that shit down in their family. It, it would have to be. Like, my great-great-grandfather <laughs> told me about the gift. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so, so my mom took one look at that. Was like, uh, "Thank you so much, Michael." And I, you know, my mom gave me the look. She had the look, right? So, so you had a look like you better release that snake right now because uh. it's not going to the house. So we we gave it back, but uh, we had a great time over there. Then moved back to Texas. I went to undergraduate at Stephen F. Austin up in Nacogdoches. Lumberjack, Lumberjack, Axum Jacks, and then we went to. Um, after that, uh, worked in Houston and Dallas, Austin and around, and then uh, married an amazing woman. Uh, she just got her PhD at the time from U of H. So we moved over to Australia, where she was going to be a guest lecturer for a year. We were at Bond University, and Australia was so kick-ass. Uh, we... Where at in Australia? It's on the Gold Coast. Oh, I know it. Gold Coast. The best. The best. I mean... Hawaii on I steroids. almost didn't come back. I we almost didn't either. We almost if we we wanted to have our children in the United States. It's damn far to get down there. Oh, it's a long way down there, and it's gorgeous. People uh, are cool. Good, best. good beer. People. It, I'm, See, that's another reason why I can't go down there. 
Real quick, I wanted to ask, did Aramco have a compound for y'all yes. to live in? So one of my uh, dad's best friends uh-huh. was at that compound and that at that time period. Well, no way. Yeah. Really? And I can't, for the life, we have his photo album in you your office. You better find out how small the world is. Uh, That'll be crazy when if, we're done, if they know I each wanna, other. I want to get that photo album and get his last name because it's not coming to me right now. It's Randy something, but uh, I mean... Because he left the company that my dad and him worked at, and he went to work for Aramco, and then they sent him to Saudi Arabia. Uh-huh. And this would have been like 87, 88, 89, yeah. like in that time frame. We were, I think we were back by 87. Okay. I think we were back by 80, maybe 80. I'll have to do the math again. It's Mom been a long time. Mom and dad are still alive. I was with them over the weekend. Yeah. And, and the folks are still alive. My dad's been, you know, he's eighty. He's made eighty-two in a couple months, and his health's been challenging. So we're we're gonna make sure that you know I'm just spending more time. So I was up there this weekend having a good, good time with them. I ate a lot of good food. Mom made. My, so my mother's my mother's side of the family is Syrian, and my dad's side is like German Irish. So we, my mother made uh, kibby kibby balls, which is like basically they're lamb or beef with bulgur wheat and garlic, and you just they're like little meatballs. Ah. <laughs> And I know what the, I've had that before. You, I'm sure you've had it before. It's so good. So um, I'm gonna have to see if if your dad knows him because oh, that yeah. would be crazy. He used to mail me letters from Saudi Arabia and send pictures of the compound. It was a small compound, and people yeah. knew everybody. So yeah. I mean, it was Dahran and Aramco, Saudi Aramco. Yeah. And we were there. It was really an amazing experience as a child to be able to go. You know, traverse the world because you know we went to Europe on the way there. We went over to China. We went. I mean, I was I was stood on the Great Wall when I was in middle school. Oh my gosh! And that was back when, like, I couldn't believe the Olympics when they were in uh, in China. And you're looking at Shanghai because when I was there, it was like the colonial three story, four story buildings, yeah. and then it's like massive. But everybody was running around like on bikes. Everybody had bikes. There were no cars. China was very different in the '80s. Versus now. Oh, yeah. My cousin went as a missionary kid by herself. Her parents sent her to China wow. in the late 80s. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and they duct taped Bibles to her torso. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then put multiple dresses over her and sent her with strangers Wh- into that is a, that is rural risky. China. It's like Cajun, Cajun parenting. Man, yeah. It's like <laughs> Mr. Gogi from the Spartans, Whoa. bro. Yeah. Like, I hope my, you make it back. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> her parents weren't with her. They sent her with other adults and sent her into rural China. That's what I'm married into. You hearing that? <laughs> yeah. Hunter over there is real tough. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Can't believe what we do to the guys. Period. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. You know, but it was, it was like such a really cool experience because, you know, when you travel around the world, you realize what a small place it is and how, how you know similar people are right people are at core right i mean they're different but they're at core and we made a lot of good friends even to this day in fact one of my friends my best friend in middle school in saudi arabia his name's haitham asun and haitham's kind of an unusual call him called haitham because if he's only haitham because it's just like you know it's it's an unusual name even for over there i've never heard anybody else ever named haitham okay so that's a thing must be like man is that a family name is like no it's even weird over there it was, yeah, it was, it's an unusual, yeah, it's, it was a strange, so, 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 so fast, so this is before internet, before all this other stuff, and when we got to high school, my folks moved us back to the United States, so, you know, at the, I think in eighth grade, we moved back, but 
Hytham went off to boarding school. We saw each other once or twice. Like we went to Astroworld. He came visit me in Houston, went down to Astroworld when that was still there. And then he, we just kind of lost each other because, you know, there's no How internet. How great was Astroworld? Astroworld was the best. The Texas Cyclone, baby. That was, that was, that was, that was one of the best roller coasters ever. I feel like Texas gave us so many opportunities, even Houston, to kill ourselves. I did. At the same Somehow time, just making us great it. human beings, you yes. know, to send out into the world. In fact, Mark Splashtown was there. Splashtown. And then at uh, Waterworld, too. Waterworld. Right next well, to well, it. Well, there was, right next to it was Waterworld. That's right. And there was a spot we found in the fence where you could get through so to Waterworld. That was inside knowledge for you city kids who had that, because when we came in, we would always hear about the secret gate. There was a way to get through. There was like a fence you could get through, and it was like Waterworld was on the other side. So we would go to Astroworld, sneak into Waterworld, yeah. do our thing, and get back into Astroworld. Well, I dropped off that edge one time. That was it, the edge, right? Was that the name of that sucker? Yeah. That, oh, oh. oh, scared the mess out of me. I wound up being a team guy. So, okay, as a team guy, you did the edge, right? Which is where you it shoots you up in the air, it pushes you out with a siren, and it drops you at like you think you're gonna go. You think you're dead. Yeah, when you come off the deal a little oh bit, my God. I didn't. You're I like, was like yeah. I don't want to take me back down, take me it back down. G's and stuff like that. Oh it's, yeah, oh yeah. So did that have any? Did you like that, or would that also scare no. you? Oh, that's a big misconception with me. I still get those those feelings. So that is interesting. Yeah, right? I still get them. This accomplished Navy SEAL, yeah. decorated Navy SEAL. Uh, jumping out of airplanes, doing all, uh, like, Is under the water. as scared of the rides as we are. <laughs> I, that's a real thing. Like, I, I still get that that feeling is I just know what to do with it now. It's it's I, I've labeled it differently. Yeah. And um, Tell us about, tell me about that. Like, what, what it was how hard. do you label it differently? Like, that, so, that was different. That, that was real different for me to, having to mislabel one of my glands and what it does. Because everyone else around you says, with well, that fear and it's supposed to back you down. Well, I... That was me activating into that that realm, that reality, and it runs on a different fuel than my calm down fuel. Interesting. So I had to feel like, um, you know, we grew up with like super superheroes and superpowers uh -huh. and stuff like that. Uh -huh. and they always uh -huh. talk about Spider Man. Something. Yeah, huge okay. with that. So when I would feel that activating into me, I would just assume that something that would be my spidey sense. So then I would be like, okay, I'm on guard. <laughs> How interesting. But I mean, it's still there. It's still you there. Can, you can switch it. I flipped the script. And, and it taught me to deal with, we can't believe what it did to me. Well, I think that's what's interesting because what you're saying, if I'm hearing it right, is you have the same responses that, because, you know, people like normal non-military people look at SEALs as like, oh, they're just different people completely. They're, they're, they don't, they just have a different, they don't, they don't have fear like we do, but you do. We do. We are. We're, di we're completely different. And the problem, what you'll find with us is like that fear that normally will back you off, the harder you hit is like the Hulk. So the harder we're going to go to you, we'll actually, we'll die. Oh, I like see. you'll kill us out. Because it's just, man, every time you hit me, if I go down, we'll get back up. Right. Because you don't get hit and get weak, you get hit and get harder. Strong, you just keep yeah, coming, you, you just keep coming. And that's what happens in the human body, body. If you condition it just right, like if you try and throw too much weight on it, you'll crush it. It's not designed for that. It's, it's slow as smooth, smooth as fast, right? Uh-huh. And I ask my athletes sometimes, like, if, if I put a pound of weight on you, you could just do that. If I put a pound of weight for a week, and then I just added a pound every other week, you wouldn't even, I can get you. Don't even know it. And all of a sudden, you're I, You have no idea what and, I can do. Yeah, you're just walking to the refrigerator. That's to get most a, people don't take the time. <laughs> they, they want to ride now. But well, the that, body's not designed for that. Yeah, and, and that's right. Because, you know, I think we're all into the instant gratification thing. Everybody wants it, you know, now and wants it perfect and all that stuff. But, you know. Isn't that great? You've got to earn it. I mean, I think that that's the whole thing. And even like the the Survivor show, you know, it was it was way harder than I thought it was. And, you know, I wasn't sure when you got out there, 
you know, are they really not going to feed you? Is there really no place for the bathroom? And we went, everybody, that's one of the questions I always get is like, where did you go to the bathroom? All of us went to the bathroom in the ocean. So the, the, there's always time the camera people wouldn't film you. You'd say you're doing a 10-1 or a 10-2 and you'd go to the ocean. 10-1, we'd go in the bushes sometimes, but 10-2 out in the ocean, you didn't eat much, so you didn't go much, but you, you'd, it was so weird. Like but people can't, they can't fathom what that means. Your body will automatically strop into it. It just your body just straps <laughs> into it. You, it just does. It was weird. Yeah, it was just. <laughs> so you're out there floating in the water yeah. in the most beautiful Fijian water you've ever seen. Just gorgeous. I mean, gorgeous. Like you've seen on the on the show if you watched it. But it's like so pretty, and you're out there floating around. You're like, all right, well, this is so weird. But you just got it was what you did, and you just kind of got used to it. it. Was your thing, and. um Everybody did it though. It was like we got used to the tides. So we, you would be having conversations on like day three with you know Janine and Ellie, and you're like, <laughs> it gets back in the day how they came up with title title charts. Maybe they bathroom maybe schedule. So. You had to know where it was going. Yeah, where hey, you're you doing. Time to go to the bathroom. Yeah, it's like okay, so this is the time. So one day I was out there, um, and my daughters made me promise before I went out there, do not get naked on the show. Okay, and they're like, Papa, do not do that. I'm like, okay, I promise I won't. So. Survivor, they pick your clothes too. So you you send a big box of your clothes that you want to wear, and they pick whatever they they want you to wear or what you. So you don't know what you're going to get. And one day when we're in the in the the pre camp, the pre the pre game, you know they get you up at all hours of the night. You're staying in those little tents, it was so hot and uncomfortable sleeping at night. I used to get my my sheet, my shirt all wet, my t shirt, sleep naked in there, and I just put my my wet shirt a t shirt on me because it was the only way I'd be cool enough to go to sleep. And and then. One day, like three in the morning, ding, 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 they get you up, you go down the chow line, and they hand you a bag. The wardrobe hands you a bag, and that's what you're going to wear. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to see what they gave me. Oh, I hope I got my lucky shirt. I'm like, oh, it's here. My pain, I, my lucky. You know, so I, I got, I was really happy with my gear. Um, but then you put all your stuff on, and out the door you go. And that's it. You see everybody in there, and that's when you kind of see their personalities too, because you're like, okay. They've got that on, or they've got this. You kind of get to kind of. Oh, it tells a story. It does tell a story. It does. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay, so to bring us back, we were in Australia. Yes. You were uh Is that how we got into that hole? Yeah. I know. <laughs> you were, <laughs> Australia. It always does that to me. Australia does down under for a down reason. Under, yeah. Man. You were we went interviewing down under. with Steve Irwin. So yes, we, we my wife's teaching at Bond University. We go down there and I was I've always been fascinated with nature shows. And my parents always always watched, you know, the Mutual Omaha stuff. I know that's nobody knows what that is anymore, but it was way back in the day. And I love fierce creatures. I've always liked sharks, alligators, snakes, crocodiles, whatever. So obviously, at the time we were there, Steve Irwin was just getting just getting discovered by Discovery Channel. They were just starting to find him. Somebody found him. We're starting to film him. But at the time, he lived in a little little muddy paddock farm uh, place up in Beerwa, which is about an hour north of Brisbane on the Great Gold name. Coast. Beerwa, yeah. So I'll leave it to Australians. What do they do there? Beerwa, yeah. So he, so we drove up there, and I, and I didn't have a job. My wife was teaching at the university, and I was a trophy husband. That's what I like to say. That was my job. I was a trophy <laughs> husband. So um, I'm glad. I'm glad this is on radio because you can. But but we would we would go. Um, I went up there, and I met Steve Irwin. I wanted to interview for a job to feed the crocodiles, and he was nice enough to come out and meet me, shake my hand. Terry came out too, his amazing wife. We had a wonderful conversation, just like when I met you guys this, this today. Uh, really nice. And then I was like, hey, I want to feed the crocodiles. And he took one look at me and he said, 
you know, Gabler, no, you would feed these crocodiles. Yeah, you would right. feed them your arms <laughs> and then you, yourself. Because if you didn't grow up with these things, you don't. And he went into this whole, he spent a lot of time with me actually. And you know, he's like, see, hold out your thumb. That's how big their brain is. Even though they're gigantic, and there's his biggest crocodile that he got, he rescued, and it's out in his paddock, it was called Akko. And it was about 22 feet long. And it literally, its back was about almost three feet high, laying on its stomach on the ground. And it was about four foot wide and 22 feet long. And crocodiles can strike half the length of their body. So if you're within 11 feet of the shore, Akko you're in range of Akko, which is mind-blowing. I mean, a massive dinosaur. And you know, and all you'd see in the water were like pea-sized bubbles, little tiny bubbles. And, and Steve Irwin knew exactly where he was based on the bubbles. He knew which end it was. He knew where it was. And I mean, he, he grew up with these things. He played with them when he was a little kid. His dad taught him, Bob, Bob Irwin. And you know, Steve taught his, his children until you know he passed. But um, just a, a, a remarkable guy. Um, really changed the world. He left his imprint on the world, and I was uh, blessed and grateful to meet him. And we got to, you know, we've been fans of his ever since. Just, That's so awesome. It was a awesome. wonderful time. From Australia, where did y'all go? Well, after Australia, we were we, we wanted to have our children in the United States. We almost stayed down there. We almost stayed because we loved Australia. The people were amazing. We have we still have friends to this day that live down in Australia, and we. Um, I feel like they don't give up on you. They like don't. Australians, it's like it's it's like a rash with us. Like once you get them, like hey, they, we're friends for life. Once you're bro. in, you're in. And you know, I've got friends down there. I had a funny story. Uh, one New Year's Day, I was with a buddy of mine named Richie. And Richie, with Richie's whole family played rugby. And he was like 6'7", pretty big guy. And uh, his family number was number seven. So we woke up New Year's Day uh, after a, what we say we woke up, we probably were still up New Year's Day mor morning. And um, there's a tattoo place. We're like, let's go get a tattoo. I'm like, all right. So I went and got a, a little shark on my back, a little shark. So, and being a typical American, you know, they draw it on. I'm looking in the mirror. I'm like, you know, can you, I think I'd like it about a centimeter higher. And I just kind of moved it a couple times. And Australians are really chill out, right? They're like, oh, just whatever. You do it, mate. You got it. So now Richie's turn. And I, I was like a, a total pain. I had to move them all around to make sure it's in the right spot. So Richie gets down there. He's like, hey, I made, I'd like a Japanese number seven. And it looks like this. And he had a picture of it. So he shows it to the tattoo artist and looks at me. And, and he's like, go to work. And the tattoo artist stencils it on. And he's like, you want to see it like your friend here that saw it 25 times? He's like, no, nah, mate, I'm good. <laughs> Just start going. So he's going, and zzz, you know, tattooing on the Richie's back. And uh, Richie's looking at me like, how's it going? I'm like, looks great. The tattoo guy's like beaming with pride because it looks awesome. And then it gets done, and he hands Richie the mirror. And Richie looks at the mirror on his back, and his face goes sheet white. It was upside down because it's Japanese. I don't know what it would look like, but luckily a Japanese number seven kind of looks like an L. So upside down kind of looked like a seven. 
and he got kind of lucky. So the next time I go down there, we were joking he's going to get an upside down number eight because it, you can't oh, mess it up. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. How funny. That is crazy. Dude, there's some good ones. Like, you get online and look at some of the tattoos that people have gotten. Where they, you can tell some of the artists really got pissed at whoever was on the table. Like, <laughs> just hook them up. Oh, my Never God. want to piss that dude off. Or a female. You don't want to piss your tattoo No, you want to be. I love my, my artist. Uh, her name is Darcy Nutt. I'm going to see her on Saturday to finish uh, my, my forearm sleeve. And she's been fantastic. And, you know, when you sit, I know you've got a lot of work done. You, If it's the same artist, you've spent a lot of time with them. So in our community, you, you can't go to him. His name is Nobody. That's his name. So when people are like, where do you get, who does your ink? You're like, Nobody. Nobody. And you can't walk in. You have to go earn your paint. It's called war paint. So earn your he'll, paint. He'll, all the team guys that went out in our generation, like you hear these battles that our guys got in. And then it would make his way to him, and he would draw up in his mind no what he way. Saw, yeah what he saw really. And then you would you get a call from him. He'd be like it's time to go see nobody. So you'd fly out there. That's amazing. That's cool, right? And we knew all kinds of crazy no stuff in the man. And then when uh, when I showed up in there, he had it all laid. He had paper like this. He came over. He's like, "This is what we're gonna do." And I was kind of looking at him like, "You're nobody." He's like, "Yes." <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, I spent a lot oh of time gosh. with him. Oh my gosh, the never, Wizard of Oz. He's like, you get to peek behind the curtain to see the wizard. Never paid one dime. And he draws stuff he draws up. it all up and puts it on that you, and then you leave. That is so cool. That is amazing. I, that is, I never knew that. That is amazing. He's real top secret in our community. Like we, he, he'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. That's cool. really cool. Yeah, it is good. Okay, so you're back to America. Okay, back to America. Yes. We had our beautiful daughters. Um, I got working at the time... Um, I, I was doing advertising when I came back because I didn't know exactly what I was going to do. And, you know, I just was kind of lost a little bit and didn't know really. I'm like, you know, the meaning of life, what am I really doing in here and everything? I felt like I wanted to kind of, not that there's anything wrong with advertising. It's great. But it's like, I just was like, I wanted to do something more direct with people. And a friend of mine who's a roommate, uh, Ned, he was a nurse. All I knew about Ned is he could do a great keg stand. But Ned, Ned had got hired. Those guys are fun to have around. They're, They're always parties, fun man. to have around. Ned was always good to have around. Yeah, I have one like of them. Class act. Yeah, that's right. So Ned would, um, Ned one day was talking to me, and I was like, you know, lamenting, kind of like, yeah, you know, I don't know what I'm doing or whatever. He goes, okay, but come with me, man. You might like this. So he got hired out of the, the hospital to work for an orthopedic company doing nip and he, knee and hip replacements. And the keg stand guy. Keg stand guy. That's the guy you want for that. That's the guy you want. And it was amazing. So one day, he goes, come with me, ride with me one day. So I remember I met him at 3.30 in the morning. We drove out to College Station to St. Joseph Hospital, and uh, and I watched a bilateral knee replacement, which was like, you know, the surgeries I work in now, it's like very elegant, very, you know, there's like two tiny little holes in the groin, and, no, you know, you, you go home the next day, there's no incisions type thing. This is like building a deck out of human parts, you know. It's like orthopedic surgery was like, oh, my God. Like a Yeah. And I'm the and I'm the type of guy that like I have to like lay down if I'm gonna give blood. I got you know I'm not needles are no problem with me, but sometimes giving blood gives me the willies. But I can watch a surgery and do it because they had a chair for me because they don't know how you're gonna react when you see a surgery. And I was just fascinated, and I was like, that's what I'm I'm getting into that somehow. And I didn't have a medical background. I just had I did get a master's when I was down at I did go to school at Bond University in Australia down there, uh, post grad, but it wasn't medical related. And at the time I was like you know. We're in Houston. My father was in oil working at Aramco. And I was, you know, I'm like, well, I'm going to get into medical device because like Ned. And medical device is 
infinite, right? There's, there's every single thing that is in a medical hospital. Somebody makes it, somebody sells it, and somebody teaches doctors and nurses how to use it and stuff like that. So it took me a year or two. I got in there, and, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you get. I worked hard. I was a full-time guy during the day. I was a full-time student at night. I worked, went to anatomy classes, went to training classes, everything I could do. And some of the doctors in the med center, uh, Dr. Alan Lumsden, Zvanko Krejci, Bizwajit Carr, they're still there now. They're legends, legends. And um, they pulled me under their wing. And I worked for, you know, they, they brought me in. And uh, there was this new, brand new technology called EVAR, Endovascular Aneurysm Repair, where to fix an abdominal aortic aneurysm, normally they would have to cut it open, you know, and then and then work on that. But now they can go in through the groin and put a basically a covered stent, so the blood goes through the aneurysm, through the tube, depressurizes the that sac. It. Super cool. So that was, but it was you know kind of a high, it was a high risk in the beginning because technology when it's new, it's always that way but you were putting these large catheters through the legs and we had, you know, there were complications and things that I learned from these amazing doctors and clinicians and nurses and techs that showed me. And then in 2011, this brand new technology called TAVR, trans-aortic valve replacement, came out. And oh, but let me go back to the EVAR thing. So in EVAR, we work very closely with our docs. And at Dr. Alan Lumsden, who's the chief at Methodist right now, um, was going to get a new partner joining him. And with a very close team that we work with in the operating room. So I was like, well, well, who's the doctor coming in? I want to know their name. Cause you know, if you're joining us, if I'm going to, I want to know him. He goes, his name's Haitham Hassoun. <gasps> no way. Way. Oh my God. I'm like, cool. Haitham, that's what? I go, is he a Probably tall? a lot of them walking around. <laughs> yeah. We talked about that earlier. Yes. And I'm like a tall Lebanese guy. And he's like, yeah. And he goes, he's a Johns Hopkins. I go, Give me his cell phone right now. Let's call him. So we call up. I haven't talked to the guy. I didn't even know. So think about it. He goes into medicine, which is infinite, goes into vascular surgery, again, pretty big, goes into endovascular surgery, specializes in EVAR. I go into to medical device, infinite, get into e vascular surgery, endovascular surgery, EVAR. So I call him up. Immediately, I know it's his voice. It's like you know, call, talking to you right now. I'm like, I would recognize your voice. I'm like, he's like, hello? I'm like, hey, bro, it's Gabler. And he's like, no way. Are you blowing my mind? I'm like, nope. I'm about to blow your mind. I'm your rep. Oh, my God. It was just like crazy. So then Haith and I reconnected, and we've been best friends ever since. Uh, we just got back from Vegas. We were there for the Super Bowl for his birthday just like weeks ago. Oh, nice. And um, so that was amazing. Wow. And then uh, this new thing called TAVR, Trans-Aortic Valve Replacement, was coming out. It's coming to Edwards Life Sciences. So I moved over to that, and it's been a miraculous, in fact, that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm here with you guys today, because we've taken care of so many patients, many of them were veterans, and one of the patients that I was not, I didn't personally take care of, but our, our team did, his name's Lester Tenney, he's since passed, but Lester Tenney was a World War II hero who survived the Bataan Death March, mm -hmm. and in fact, if you back up a little bit, so Lester knew that the winds of war were blowing, in the, in the late 1930s. So he volunteered, joined the Army, joined the Tank Corps, got stationed in the Philippines, and was going to be done with his four years of service by, 19, by January 1942. Well, December 7th, 1941, Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and we were in the war, and he got stuck down there. They fought to the last bullet and the last food. They had nothing left, 
and they were still ready to fight on. And Lester was very firm about telling me that about 20 times. Like, we did not, we were ordered to surrender because it would have been a slaughter otherwise. But the Japanese did not, it was culturally was different. So they, he went on a 70, the Bataan Death March was 75 miles through the jungle. No, no, no water, no food. If you collapsed, bad things happened to you. You, they, you, were, you were killed. So Lester, and I asked Lester about it. I was like, I got to meet Lester. I knew Lester for, for many years. But Lester, I was like, how did you do that attitude-wise? He's like, I would look to the next bend in the road, and I would just tell myself to get there. And then I'd go to the next bend, and I'd get there. And 75 miles later, he got to his prison camp where he was there for several years. And he thought about his wife because he got married right before he went on this, his, before he enlisted, and married his sweetheart. Um, and then he was taken on a slave ship to Japan where he worked as a slave laborer for two years and was, was almost done. He almost expired there. It was down to about 100 pounds. And he witnessed with his own eyes because his slave labor camp was across the harbor from Hiroshima. And he saw the, the atomic bomb with his own eyes. He writes about it in his book. Lester wrote two books. One book was called My Hitch in Hell about his experience as a POW, as a, as a, as a fighter POW, and then coming back. And then he wrote another one called The Curtis Remember about uh, PTS. And um, Lester was, had, a, had a heart condition. He was about 86 years old. And the Japanese government had offered a, to fly over the remaining veterans for a formal apology to Japan. But Lester didn't have the health to do it. So Lester being Lester isn't going to take no for an answer. So he got researching clickety-clack on, online. And he... Um, found the scripts at, at uh, the trial for sapien heart valves, transcathode heart valves, and he qualified, and he got his heart fixed. But this was experimental. It was a trial at the time. Went over to Japan, got his apology, came back, went to the FDA and Congress with us, and petitioned for this technology because it works so well. And 800,000 hearts later, it's still going. It's on our, we're on our fifth generation. And Lester, Lester lived seven more years um, with his heart valve. We got to know Lester for seven more years. And he was, he's a great man. And one of the reasons on Survivor, I think it's episode seven, I was on a, an endurance challenge where you have to hold on tight. Like I would have used that chain thing. It would have been good for me. I would just chainsaw a lot, but I have pretty strong forearms. And I was holding on. And the first couple of minutes of it was really painful. And I was just like, oh gosh, the record for it in the 22 year season was, was 25 minutes. So I'm holding on with my good buddy, Cody, and everybody else had knocked out by that point. Everybody had tapped out. And Cody was hanging on tight. I'm like, Cody, hang on, man. You know, we've been like 10 minutes in here now. And our, our, our arms are shaking. And I was, you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. And I started tapping in. to Jeff, Jeff Probst asked me, he goes, Gabler, what are you thinking about? And I go, I'm thinking about our heroes, thinking about Lester Tenney, our patients, and thinking about, you know, veterans. And instantly, pain went away. I just got like, my, my spirit exploded. And then you'll see me on the show holding on with one arm, shaking a little bit of blood back in my fingers, pointing at Cody. We went past 25 minutes, 30 minutes, 35 minutes, 45 minutes. Cody finally let go, and I was still hanging on. And uh, we broke the all-time record for that, and that was my first individual immunity win. But it's, it's, it's probably how we got here today, and I'll, we'll, we'll toast Lester to that because without Lester... I don't know that I would have, you know, with, without Lester, with Taver, 
without with Survivor, the veterans here. So it's it's an amazing world that God's planned for us and God brought us together. That's so cool. Wow. Yeah, man, you harnessed one of them warriors. Yeah. Yeah, that's sucker, right. Sucker gets you right. Yeah. Got me right. And I I did a I started doing a minute for everybody. I was like, this next minute is for my my Navy SEAL buddies that went to I went to high school with. This next minute's for uh, my, my furry faced son, my dog Texas. I did you know, a minute for Idaho, a minute for Alaska, a minute for so I just kept doing things like that. Um, and it's amazing when you, you know, th there's a book I read years ago called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Have you ever read that? It's awesome. It's um, so he was a Holocaust survivor, and he was in Auschwitz, and he was a, he was a psychologist before he went in there. And you lost his family, lost, you know, went through, a, we could talk for hours about Viktor Frankl, but he, when he, he survived the Holocaust and he wrote a book about logotherapy and what he, he called it logotherapy. And he said, I do know, I know exactly what you're talking about though. Man can survive anything and woman if you can find meaning in your suffering. And, you know, like right now, if you put a, a flame under my, under my buddy Justin's hand here, you're going to move it away because you're going to, ouch. But if that was for your son, you'd burn your hand off. So it was by me kind of channeling our heroes and things that were important to me, it gave me strength beyond my strength, you know? That's awesome. That's why our women are so powerful. That's a, that's a fact. That's right. Mama. So when you did Survivor, when did you decide that you were going to give your winnings away? If you went. What a great won. question. So... The first thing, you know, I was, I love the show, so I'm a big fan, and I always told my, my wife and kids, before I turn 50, I'm going to apply for the show. So it's like 49 and 10 months, and my wife's like, if you're going to do this thing, you're about to turn 50 next in a couple months, you better go. So who's the oldest still? Does Rudy hold that? Rudy's the oldest, 72. Still, still, still right? Oh, yeah, 72. He's a badass. That's twenty years. <laughs> twenty years from now, he's one yeah. of ours. If I'm lucky enough to get <laughs> Rudy was a seal. Right? Oh yeah. yeah, he's one of the original seals. Yeah, he's like. I'm freaking mad like you, man. Y'all ain't gonna take his spot. Era. He'll haunt you from the grave, dude. Yeah. Rudy is seventy-two. I can't even imagine. I, yeah. He's my. He's, he's mean. That's he was the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. The real freaking deal. Man. Yeah. And even Rudy on the show, you know, people like building huts and doing stuff. Rudy just go sleep in the bushes. He's yeah, he didn't care. He come or can't come <laughs> take your stuff. He was, he was a bad Our master, dude. crusty yeah. old master chief, man. Like Tune your era. ass up. He, he was a little bit ahead of him. He could have been ahead of him. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. oh, wow. He could have been. Yeah, they, it was um, yeah, Rudy. Rudy's the oldest ever. Uh, he would still go back to the team and just like the, the master chief. Yeah. And he was he was team two. Like, oh, there's a big debate on who the first SEAL team was because of the time change. Team two got it. It's on the East Coast. Okay. Oh. Okay. Oh yeah. We got all kinds of rivalries in our houses. It's like of Hog course. it's like Hogwarts in there, man. You can't even believe it. That's the hidden stuff we don't tell anybody about, really. But sure. And then you got those badasses from each command who the reputations to come off of. Oh and, yeah. And it's the culture. It's the culture. They lead the culture. They're their cultural they icons. They lead it. Icons. <laughs> they cultural started icons. it and then they haunt us if you don't keep that going up. And then it crosses over because we we interop. So you got the greeny beanies over there and some of our boys work together. We've got some great ops that, that, that you just know. Usually you don't ever hear about them. If you walk in, they'll be painted on the wall or something. People, it's like the pass downs, like the yeah. Native Americans do it. They just you don't yes. write that stuff, man. Yeah, like stories, to, legends, story. and stories. That's right. That's right. So Rudy is a legend. So if it's oh, yeah. yeah, if you're he's a survivor it. legend, he's a seal legend. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty legendary right yeah. there. Yeah, he's a 
He's a double all legend. All-around legend. Okay. So that's when you decided? We're talking about you giving your so away? So I put together my video, sent it in, uh-huh. and I made it for friends and family to be fun. It's like if you Google Was it VHS? VHS? It was not VHS. Man, I could have I done it that way. That got you recognized quick. Been, can you imagine? I had a big old VHS tape Bro. camcorder, and I'm like, hey, Jeff. That would have been hilarious. Come on. I mean, that that would be hilarious. You know, if you and I were sitting there and one of them came sliding across, you'd be like, that would be hilarious. Who sent this? That would be hilarious. <laughs> so we, um, I sent that in, and of course, they, they called me back, and they're like, you know, I thought it was a spam call because, you know, you keep getting like this 310 number keeps calling me, and I'm like, Finally, I listen to the messages, and it's like, Gabler, this is a survivor. Call us back. And I'm like, which one of my buddy's wives is this calling me and pulling my leg or something? And then sure enough, it's survivor. I call him. And um, how do you verify that? Because I mean, just what you just said makes sense. So you're like, man, whatever. You you got a bunch of jokers you hang out with, right? Like you can't believe. I can't even under oh, yeah. bet. So you I, think we're crazy? The next generation is even worse. Oh so yeah, just gonna, we got some good ones. Oh too. yeah. Ugh. So I was like, "There's no way." But so I called her back. Her name was Deanna, and I called her back, and she's a dear friend, obviously. And she's like, "Hey, we, we loved your video. We want you to try to get on Survivor." So by the time they they selected me to go on, I my wife I've got my wife, one of my roommates from college. His name is Muzzy, and he was a veteran. And we were like, you know, if you went. You're not going to win. You're not going to win, number one. First, you're not going to win. But if you do win, what are you going to do with the money? We were like, well, maybe we'll do something funny, like get a Zeppelin and throw cupcakes at the city for a while. Whatever. We were just making jokes. And then... Oh, we do that, too. We, <laughs> like, then, you can't believe it. Yeah, I know, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know y'all do. You know we do. So then um, he was like, you know, what if you do something important with the money? And Joanna, my wife, was like, yeah, that. why don't you do something important with the money? We've been blessed. You know, I've got a, I had a great career. And yeah, we got two daughters going to college. We could use, everybody could use money, but I was like, and then we started talking. We go, you know, what's important? And you know, veterans are a big part. My father, Robert Gabler, and um, my uncles. My, my one of my uncles was a CB in Vietnam, and my other my other my uncle, Uncle Fred, guarded the tomb of the unknown soldier. So I mean, I have a oh, not really, really Fred Sheehab, Fred Sheehab. And we don't go anywhere without the CBs. Those guys are legit. And the, CBs went with you guys and in the, Vietnam. The too. tomb guards are. Legit stuff, yeah, right? right. So it's I, hard to get that. What'd your dad do in the army? He was a Green Beret. He was in the reserves, Green Beret reserves, and he only got out because I was born. Mm-hmm. And my mother was pregnant with me because his team was going back, um, and my granddad, uh, also Fred Sheehab, grabbed my dad basically by the scruff of his neck and said, "You, you know, your your child's going to be born in three months. You need to stay here with my daughter now and, and raise your family." and you know, that was, that's all the more reason why, and we'll talk about some charities in a little bit, why some of my choices are what they are, because to take care of veterans' families of the fallen. But, um, so that's what he did. And then, um, so we were talking with, with Joanna and my buddy Muzzy about what to do with the winnings. If we won it, we said, okay, veterans' charities. So I go on the show. Joanna, I don't talk to her for six weeks because that's, you know, radio silent. I come back, you know, about 35 pounds light. And I'm super skinny. She's me at the airport. And, you know, we shed a tear or two. She'd never, I've never been that small since she met me because I was, I was smaller than I was in high school when oh I got back. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And, um, you know, so uh, we shed a tear. And she, I'm like, she's like, did you win? She signed all the stuff that I did. So I only, only could tell, like, a couple people. And uh, one of them was obviously my wife. So I'm like, I won. She's like, oh, my God. And I go, I hope you're okay with what we talked about because I did that too. Oh and my gosh. of course she was. So that's, we decided before the show 
And also just thinking about doing something bigger than yourself drove me on those cold nights, hot days, hungry days, all those kind of things. Cause I wasn't just trying to win for me. I was trying to win for a patient population and a, and a group that I, I care deeply about. And, um, that's kind of how it, how it all came about. And we, we were, then I had to sit on that for six months cause I couldn't tell it till the last oh show gosh. was aired. So you go through this big experience. You can't talk about it. The only people I told was my, was my, my wife and I told my parents because my father's not been in great health and I wanted to be sure that he knew what was going to go on because I donated the money in his name and wanted to make sure he knew about those things. And it was, it was remarkable. And we were at Justin's house. Justin and Susan, my sister, hosted us for the finale, sat on the couch right between his parents and my parents. They were in the catbird seat. And it was... It What's was, that like? It was unreal, man. It is. It was unreal. It is. It was powerful. How about that, huh? It was, uh, you know, we didn't say much, but it was how long, just... How long did it take you to come off the ass kicking? So you come... I'm still coming off it a little bit, to yeah. be honest. I just, I mean, because some of it, you know, my when you're really hungry, you you eat all of your, your fat, you eat all your muscle, you start eating your muscle, and then you start to pull from places in your body. And some of the, like... Like I, I threw my back out when I got back. I kind of herniated a little bit of a disc, not on the show, but when I got back, and it didn't rupture, just herniated it. But I had like some you know numbness down my leg. It was painful at first. That wasn't like right when I got kind of got back, but um, I think you know, the spinal column and is all the fluid is fat, so your body kind of pulls. And I, I, I'm the doctor, the orthopedic I was talking with said that well, you know your your discs are a little bit compressed. So I've been doing yoga and stretching and I've gone to a chiropractor to kind of get and doing all my PT and stuff too to get back. It's so hard for me to get into that damn routine. So, I got to do that too, man. I the know. stretching part. Why is that? What, <sighs> what is that? You know, I read um I mean like I really have a tough time getting into that part of it. Yeah, and I do too, Marcus, and the reason is because when we go to work out if you're not throwing weight, Thank you're not you. working out. <laughs> yeah, you're not working out. You waste time doing that other stuff. That got drilled in. Yeah, stretching is like, okay, that's what I do, and then I work out. Um, so, I only stretch out if I get hurt. Why would I? Right, you know I right, you? right. <laughs> then you stretch it out. You know, and but you've <laughs> also always been very flexible. I get, like, uh, my, 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 wow. but I'm, like he, I'm agreeing with. Yeah, his flexibility is off the charts without stretching. Wow. Is so, Morgan the same way? Mm-hmm. Wow. But he they also did I mean, a we're lot all of busted martial, up now though. They did martial arts as kids and all the way up until I mean just a few years ago. So they always had that like that leg movement and I blew my knee out the other day, man, so I'm feeling like punk, but what happened? I don't know. You just got some swelling in there? No, I yeah, tore, he tore my, his meniscus. Blood, my meniscus, my meniscus. He has to have surgery on April 25th. <laughs> jumping tall building. A single, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, jump, jumping out of your track. Uh, no, it was a gang fight, and then <laughs> I got hit by a shark, and then... Yeah. You were wrestling with Joe Rogan. And yeah, just yeah, got, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. I went and saw Joe, and he kicked my ass, and then it was all, it's all good, man. It hit uh, Something, Make up some story that's better than what they were. I know it's like you're like stepping out of the bath wrong. You're like, yeah. that's, that's that's what, what we all know. That's probably what happened. But I ask people all the time, and they're like, uh, I'm like, bro, you gotta have something on the hook for that. Like I immediately, know. They, they catches people. That's an icebreaker too. That's right. Because that's if you right. Take that injury, and someone asks you a question. If you throw something at them, they're not ready for it. Probably make them laugh. It's yes. first of all, yes. And then they'll yes. be like, tell me more. That's right. That's right. So I've been, you know, I read. Um, David Goggins' book can't hurt me. You can't, can't hurt that guy. You can't hurt that guy. He's unreal. That's what I had to grow up with. 
people, yes. people are like, what motivates you? How, how did you get the, do you, I have the same people that motivate me that motivate y'all. David Goggins, Jocko. Jocko. That's who I had to come Jocko. up on, around and under. Did you, did, were you with Jocko? I knew them the whole, my whole career wow. and, and their reputations precede them. Yeah. And wow. Goggins. All, they're all yeah. very close friends. That's amazing. Yeah. I know. What a cool group of, Cool Aren't they? Guys. Just so cool. They're guys. assholes, right? Just, oh yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Just, Way to be so cool, guys. Yeah, yeah. Good so for funny. you. It's so funny. You see how quickly Marcus turned that around from cool guys to oh, you're so good. Yeah, yeah. You gotta throw a dig. Every, oh, you got a total at the end, man. I throw. I slide that in there quick, man. I am a boys team guy. Will boys boys right, will man. be boys. Boys will be boys. So how cool is it that your wife agreed to give that money away? Because that's a huge chunk of change to just be coming in. So for yeah, her to pay to, that off on the backside, huh? like she got a vacation or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. If you slide a meal away, she's going to be like. <laughs> well, and you were gone for all of that time. She's like, amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. that's awesome. She's we're amazing. past that point. She's unicorn status. Man. She's that's unicorn like status. Yes, we talked about. Yeah. Yeah. up. So yeah. at what point did you realize which charities you were going to donate to? So I, I had talked to some of my veteran buddies about things that, that had helped them with, you know, PTS um, and, and traumatic brain injury, suicide epidemic, did all, all, all the above, right? So I started researching them when I got back um, in June, and I put together a, a, a short list of about 30 that's now about you know, 10, 15 maybe. Um, and one of the ones is the, I'm gonna, is the Special Operations Warrior Foundation that takes care of the children of fallen Special Operations folks like you know, Delta, SEALs, Rangers, uh, Green Berets, all of the above. And that was important to me because, like I said, uh, you know, my father, my granddad got my dad, uh, you know, kept him home. And a lot of his friends went and some of them didn't come back, right, or came back with, I mean, I remember one kid, I was probably five years old, and good-looking blonde guy, and you know, prosthetics back in the '70s were ridiculous, right? So he had like a hook, an mannequin, actual, right? Like mannequin hands and all yeah, that. it was like he had, he had literally had a hook. He had a hook, and he came over to the house, and I was like, "What is like?" You know, I, I my mother was reading Peter Pan to me at, at bedtime with a hook, and I'm like, "Why does your friend have a hook's hand?" Of course, kids say the damnedest things, right? And he was a really cool guy. I don't, I don't remember who his name was, but. Um, it was just in, that was that stayed with me too, and then um, then I, I reached out to well Ben Drybergen was also one survivor. He won season thirty five, and Ben was a Marine and he was in Fallujah and other places and he had very serious PTS. In fact, they were burning bamboo logs on the beach and bamboo has these air pockets in it. When they get hot, they pop really loud. And Ben was walking around one morning and all of a sudden this log just goes boom and you know Ben just. You know, as you do, right? He just jumped down and just, you know, they did a confessional with Ben talking about it. And when I was watching Ben as a fan, um, I was like, okay, he talked about how important, you know, to help out veterans, PTS, and suicide prevention. And he mentioned a charity that he was involved with, which is called Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. And, the, and Marcus Capone is the Navy SEAL and his wife, Amber, they, they started a foundation because Marcus had tried everything. Been to the VA, they gave him basically Ambien and whatever else, and it just, it wasn't, nothing was working. And he was just, couldn't talk about it. It was just, had so much to deal with and was, you know, suicidal himself. And he, he got, he was like, nothing's working. And one of his friends told him about ayahuasca and he went down and it changed him profoundly and allowed him to get back to himself. 
And so that is a an organization we're absolutely going to be supporting. I've become friends, you know, loosely with with those guys, just talking, and I look forward to work with them. In fact, we just so when I got back to when the game ended, I had six months until the finale, and during that time we were debating whether we should start either a foundation or a fund. A foundation takes a lot of work to to run, and it was something where you know. People could donate to it. There's benefits to it and things, but there's so many great foundations out there like Amber and Marcus's and and others that we decided to create a direct access fund, a DAF. And we created that uh, in in the fall last year. And then the money, when it was given to us in late December, we rolled it right into the DAF. So the million dollars got parked in there which was very important because if I would have taken the million dollars, I would have had to pay oh, yeah, then, yeah. 350 again, taxes. Yeah, sure. By putting it into the DAF, minimal taxes, yeah. maximal donations, That's which was awesome. very important. So Joanna helped me find out. She not only agreed to this and helped come up with the idea, but she helped me... Uh, navigate this DAF and that's where the money's parked and we're starting to cut checks out just now. Um, and I'll keep you guys posted on where they go, but those are two of the organizations and there's, there's every one of them is, is fantastic. And I wish I had, you know, I'm not going to go on like a dozen more shows and win because there's so many great groups to give to. <laughs> now those, ones you, those love, ones you went to work. We love the That's in the right spot. Yeah. The fantastic. And, and you agree, you like those two? Yes. Those okay. ones you just mentioned are the, are the right spot. Awesome. Yes. You'll be fine. That's good. You're good yes. there. Those, so those, those names you threw out are locked, legit, yeah, both of them, away. Yeah. Specifically, like we know the Capones very well. Do you really? Yes. And um, yeah, they do do a lot of amazing work. Wonderful. Well, I'm really excited. Um, I haven't met them. I've just talked to Amber and Marcus on the phone a couple times and we text every once in a while. And I have a feeling once we start working together here. If you have soon. fun with us, you're going to love them. <laughs> oh, good. Well, Amber seems like a sweetheart. She's yeah. really She's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Jesus, if man. you He's... ever need help, you like, can't miss that sucker when he walks in. He's big too? Looks yeah. just like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All these guys so big. I thought I was regular. I was the smallest, like the shortest guy in, in the, the room. In my, in my first couple of teams, I was, I was the smallest guy. Amazing. There's something in that era that we came through that was in the water. In the water. Something. Yeah, we love the Capones. Um, yeah, if you ever need help vetting any organizations too, I've been through all okay. of them. Not been through, but here. I yeah. okay. I Everybody know sends us information about, about what's legit. All of them, so I yeah. love that. Thank you, Melody. Yeah. She appreciate that. She's the compass on that. You bet. Okay, that that is that's a, that's a good good deal. I've got Hunter's details, so I'll I'll send yeah. you the list yeah. of what I've got, and you just tell me if you like them all. Well, thank you for doing this and for sharing your story it was and, so much fun it yeah. went by like a blink i mean it was just yeah. like i don't know it just seems like you guys are just the easiest going people <laughs> mike i've actually got a question as well all right send it. so you said you uh you'd breaking that one record um earlier in the game and i know that you actually also broke another one starting the fastest fire yes sir is there any other ones that you broke i did i've got a few records so i've got um I'm the second oldest player to ever win at mm -hmm. 52. The oldest player to win was 57. It's Bob from season 17. And I'm the oldest player in the new era. Again, i got to take that little jab. I got <laughs> it, man. Throw it in there. That's why it's there. <laughs> um, I got, um, let's see, I got that one. I got the, the record for fire. I broke the all-time all record for fire by about 50 seconds, which, you know, 20 years, 42 seasons, and I was on the 43rd season. And all through the season, I, I couldn't make fire. But then I had to do this contest. 
and bam, I kept it. I kind of kept it under my because you know in Survivor it's a game of if you're too good. Marcus is a great swimmer. It's like mm, swimming contest at the end. Maybe we got to get yeah, 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 yeah. Right, absolutely. So I kind of kept it under my hat a little bit. Nice. And then it was time to do fire, and it was like and in fact Joanne and I talked about it. She was because you know wardrobe came out. You know we're getting ready to go and making fire is one thing. Like making fire in your house, in your your yard or whatever is one thing. And I'm an outdoors guy. I'm out in the mountains all the time. Love it. But making fire in front of a wall of cameras with Jeff Probst 10 feet away is a little different. And it was just so crazy because I got up there. I wore my, my same challenge outfit that I wore, which was my like Reno 911 short shorts, my long sleeve camouflage shirt. And I just, I got the fire going. And Joanna told me like, if you get to the end, you got to make fire to win. She goes, don't forget you can cut your beard off if we need more tinder to get in there. And I almost, yeah. I was like, and I was like, that'd have been hardcore, bro. That would have been, been hardcore. That would have been hardcore. I actually thought, I mean, if you'd have been like, oh, <laughs> 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 yeah. but then, I, but then, then the whole, I have made fire. <laughs> I thought about it, but I was like, drop the mic, dude. Don't yeah, you should have snatched some hair off some other one. Yeah. 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 Give yeah. it to me. Get a fire of the summer moon. There you go, you right know, there. Go down. And I was like, don't showboat. Don't be like that guy that you know the end zone. You know who gets the interception? He's on the one yard line, about to score the winning touchdown, and they swat knock the ball out. I was like, just focus, win. Don't do anything else. And and it was kind of a tricky one because you know, like we mentioned, we all got very close with each other on the island. And my good buddy Jesse is who I had to go battle fire against. And Jesse's story is amazing too. He was a you know grew up hard on the streets of L.A. Uh, was in a gang, was in juvenile hall and decided to turn his life around. And he ended up getting into Berkeley. Uh, he had kind of his facial tattoos removed and things. There's a charity that takes care of that. Yeah. Then he went to Duke, got a PhD, two amazing families, married his high school sweetheart. And he was right next to me making fire. And on, on the, in Survivor, usually you vote people out, the tribe does, where it's like, it's, a, it's like a silent vote. And all of a sudden we're like, I'm sorry, Melody, the tribe has spoken, you're, you're out. And it's, it's, it's a bummer and it's sad, but when I was with Jesse, like I, I beat him one-on-one -on -one and he was my good friend and I respect his story and everything else. And it was, it was kind of a weird, that was, that was one that kind of took a little bit of processing because, you know, and I, and in fact, right, right when I, right when the fire burnt the rope, uh, he was really, you know, down on himself at that point. And I grabbed him and just kind of gave him a big hug and pulled him up. And I'm like, dude, you're, we're all proud of you. Your family's proud of you because we all were and they are. And uh, but that was cool, you know. So the fire was was one of them. And I think there was there may have been one or two out there too. But the the grip challenge, the fire challenge, uh, second oldest and oldest. And there's probably one or two out there. I don't know. But it was it was good. It was an amazing season. Super fun. Oh, so fun. So there's enough to keep y'all motivated. It's like, cause you know how it is when you're out there and there's only, only, the only thing to do is just the only thing to do. Yes. So about that time when that rubs in, they, cause they get you just enough to get pissed at, pissed, like, hey. Yes. Hey. Yes. Right. <laughs> and then it comes smashing in there. And then it comes smashing hey, in. Oh, check. That's exactly I right. I figured. Exactly right. I know that routine. Yes. Yeah. It, 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 it's designed. It's very well designed to strip you down and teaches make, you the, yeah. the bare necessity. It does. It the, does. Di the discipline part. If you got that. You can have anything. If you leave discipline. out the discipline part and you try to teach them everything else, they won't get anything. Discipline is the key. That's, That's the, the key to everything, part, yeah. right? Yeah. So what's next for you? Wow. This year, I'm back. Um, so I, I, I love what I do. I absolutely love what I do. That's one of the things I thought about on the beach, too. And, 
you know, I reflected. I wanted to go. My goals going on the show were threefold in this order. I wanted to have a good showing for my friends and family so people would be happy with my performance. I wanted to go deep into myself because it's a great opportunity when you're putting yourself out there, whether you're David Goggins running 100 miles or whatever, when you go deep into yourself, big things can happen. And sometimes you have to push yourself really hard to do that. And I got to, to do that experience. And then I wanted to win. And I was able to do all three of those. So now that I'm back, I work like tomorrow. I'm flying back to Boise tonight. And I've got four, four hearts tomorrow with an amazing heart team at St. Alphonsus Hospital. And I've got three more at St. Luke's on Thursday, Friday in the office. Um, this year, I'm going to do nothing more than get back into really good shape. And um, I would love to do another Survivor. I'd love to do Survivor Australia. But y'all have to go. You have to go back. Uh, After winning, don't they, they pull y'all back. If they haven't called me back, but I, well, you're going back. I'm ready to yeah, go, I mean, man. I'm ready thing, to go. Right? I'm ready I mean, to I go. I imagine they do that. With you. I know they do. You know, and you mentioned Rudy, who is another hero, and uh, you know he did that at 72. You know, God willing, I, I, I would be honored to play at 72. Y'all need to do it like the Mr. Universe competition to where like, hey, this guy's got this many wins. He's the, he's the president of the island. Like, yeah. I mean, like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, there, there's one dude who's put it down. Yeah. So far, I just have one point. People eat that point. show up, dude, because oh. then you got your primes in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, buddy. Yeah. They'll, if they do some kind of an all-star thing or whatever, who knows? Uh, so Survivor, Jeff Probst's franchise did around the world. So there's a there's a, a Greek Survivor. There's a French. There's a Scandinavian Survivor called like wake up tomorrow it's like whatever and then there's australia survivor which is i you know with my australia history i i and i love australians i just love australia I love it. so, so good i may go on i would be dude. open they haven't invited me but i would be willing and then sammy who was the youngest guy on my tribe he was 19 years old me and him we went fishing together he's one of my closest guys out there from day one sammy and i have uh toyed about talking about doing the amazing race together because we're a funny combination oh how fun and maybe we'll do that so i i love doing these shows i love it's been a lot of fun i love my real life i love the the reality life um if i'm blessed to be asked to do something again you betcha i'll be i'm just trying to get ready for it right now so can people donate to your DAF? they can't thank you for asking but what i will do is once i you know, Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions is, is one of the charities and foundations. Special Operations Warrior Foundation is another one. I'll put a list out of the ones that I have um, sent money to as I do it. In fact, maybe I'll just start doing that on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on those two. I'm just, I'm new to all this stuff. And but how I'm, can people find you on those? I'm at uh, Gabler Mike on Instagram, and I think I'm Gabler1Mike on Twitter, but I've got the blue flags on both of them. Okay. So you'll, and I've got a picture of me wearing a bone necklace uh, covered in mud, so you'll know which one's me when you find it. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll post those, the charity stuff. And what I also want to do is, what I, what I talked to Amber and Marcus about is, I don't just want to, you know, send in money and never see you again. I want to be as involved as I can. If I can help, if I can be of service, um, please let me know. And I want to be involved to do things with my community and, and our country that I can. Maybe you should go down and do a treatment and speak for it yourself. And you know, I've never done that. <laughs> I've been to Burning Man, so I've done mushrooms, but I, you know, but I, and I, all the above, but I haven't done the ayahuasca, but you never know. You um, never know. I never made Burning Man. Maybe we could do Burning Man together. We'll do, we we'll are talking oh about my, my crew in the, we were talking about that the other day. Well, I might really? have yeah. stopped at that. We might have to no, bring I, you no, with I us. Just, 
We might have to I've bring run across you with some us. people that have, they, they go there, and so I know about it. But I've never, I, I won't speak on it because I've never been there. You know, it's an eight-hour drive from my house. So you got you fly up to Boise. Yeah, we have caravan on down. We'll get our our tribe together, and uh, you grab any crew you want, and we we'll have a fun time. I truly love our country and the stuff our that we do. Like, Me, there's yes. some hidden stuff in there that people just do. It's amazing. It's so amazing. Get back in it. Get the, the vein and the artery going. Keep this place going yes. so you can go do that stuff. But yes. The difference between us is almost what makes it perfect. It, it does. That's what's so great about America is we're just, and, you know, we've kind of lost our way a little bit recently, but we're coming back in it together. I mean, at core, we're all together. We're all Americans. Oh, yeah. We don't lose our way. We're switching to a new one. That's, right. That's, that's a transition we all go through. Yes. And that's, that's our superpower as well. Like anybody who's outside of this doesn't have any idea what goes on inside this thing. That's right. And that's you right. You can't even explain it. Yeah, it's a family. It's, it's a, a family. family. And that's why you can't be like, what it's the hell's wrong with y'all? I don't know. America's a, <laughs> it's like any family. We just are. Yeah, okay? yeah. We got we got our things, but <laughs> yeah, it's, we like, got our it's thing, our family. Man. It's our freaking family. All right. Lay off of it. Well said. I like right. that. All right, all right, thank, thank you for coming on our thank show. Thank you for having me. Yes, thank you thank guys you very so much. much. Great it was episode. Awesome. Thank you all for listening in. We'll see you next week on the Team Never Quit podcast. Mm-hmm.